Hey there, conductors. If you've ever felt that you're not quite sure what to do next when you're studying a score, maybe you don't even know where to start with a difficult piece. Maybe you study one piece too much and then you realize at the first rehearsal that you don't know another one well enough. Or maybe you're a new conductor and you don't know what score study is. I'm excited to share that I'm finally publishing and sharing my score study checklist. I've been refining this for 12 years now, and I'm so excited to share it. It is going to walk you through my structure, my process to make sure that I learn every score that I need to learn well enough and so that nothing falls through the cracks. So it covers everything that you need to know. There's a link in the show notes. Go ahead and click it, sign up, and you'll get that score study checklist sent right to your email. You'll also get access to an eight-minute video of me explaining what each section is and how I use it to organize all the music that I need to learn. It's only eight minutes, so it's not going to take you a whole hour to learn how to study better, how to put up a process for your score study and how to make sure that nothing is falling through the cracks. So again, click the link in the show notes, and I hope to see you soon. Now, please enjoy this episode of Podium Time. Welcome to Podium Time, the podcast for conductors and students. I think for him, it was about being comprehensive and really developing you, you know, like I say, developing you as a musician and as somebody who is not just a conductor, but someone who has something to say about pieces of music, which again, there are a lot of conductors that conduct fantastically, but you realize behind that wonderful technique, I don't know if there's much that's going on in terms of what they want to say. Mm -hmm. And I think it's more important to be able to say something about music than it is about conducting well. And that's important. Welcome to Podium Time. This is your host, Jeremy D. Quabus, and this week, Luke and I are speaking with George Jackson, a London-based conductor who works entirely as a freelancer and a guest conductor. We split this interview into three parts as an experiment we're running on the podcast of shorter episodes that are more focused, and this second part is all about George's education in Vienna and how learning deeply with less podium time can actually help you develop as a conductor. Be sure to check out the previous episode, in which you talked about George guest conducting and working with a manager, and the next episode on how podcasts, film music, and Steve Reich can help revitalize classical music in America. And around the world, really. As always, I'd like to thank our patrons on Patreon for supporting the podcast with just a couple bucks a month, and thanks to everybody that's a part of our Inner Circle Facebook group who helped tell us that they may want shorter and more focused episodes. Check out the show notes for links to both of these, and you can use promo code PODIUMTIME at pagubatons.com for 20% off your first order. There's a link to that in the show notes as well. But for now, let's get to part two of our interview with George Jackson. So if if you don't, I'd love to talk about, about Mark Stringer and some of the things, you know, mm. what would you say were the things that were really important to him as a teacher when you were working with him? What were the things that he was, you know, you were always hearing from him? Mm. And I still hear from him. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, I think um, he. what was great, we, we had two teachers. We had Mark Stringer and we had his assistant, who's a Japanese teacher called Yuji Uaza. Okay. Um, who was very well known in Japan, who was close to Seiji Osawa okay. and who came from this um, this Saito technique of conducting, yeah, yeah. Um, which is a brilliant book, uh, which is, you know, floating around 
there's a PDF floating around the internet of, <laughs> of all these different techniques. Uh, there's very, very exact. A lot of the technique was to do with um, the acceleration of, of a movement or a continuous. Um, there are all these Japanese terms to describe uh, like tataki and heiken undo and all these different ways of um, making movements to conduct an orchestra. Um, but we, what was lovely is we had this sort of um, short-term get through repertoire quickly with mostly with pianists playing, which the assistant, which Yuji Waza was in charge of um, hmm. and almost sorting out technical problems quickly. You know, do, you're doing it, you're doing that. I think that's probably wrong. Fix that done. Next thing. Um, with Mark Stringer, <laughs> we'd, we'd study like a Brahms symphony for a month and a half um, and really digest it. And, and um, okay. we'd, we'd, of course we conduct it and we would have time with, with the kind of student orchestra to, to develop. Um, but we'd, we'd actually, it was almost like we weren't preparing to conduct Brahms three with any orchestra. Um, it was like we were basically preparing to conduct Brahms three, you know, our debut recording with Deutsche Grammophon. I mean, we all okay. had to have such a developed way of thinking about the music. And, and also what was important was the historical context behind it. So it was a very, um, it was an intellectual approach and it was an approach that asked almost more questions than answered. Um, and so we were expected to come to these lessons very, very well prepared, having listened to all the available recordings and um, having studied all the different aspects of the piece and also the historical context. Um, and so actually what I realized and what I, what I suspect he was teaching was not just how to conduct, um, but how to be an advocate for a piece of music in our time and how, how to actually have a, have a concept of what we want to say about a piece. Mm -hmm. And although I think at the time as a student, my, my immediate concern, like most of my colleagues was, yeah, but I look terrible when I conduct and I'm not clear <laughs> and I can't get an orchestra to play together and yeah. all those kinds of concerns. Um, those are easy things to solve in the long run. Yeah. Um, but, but what he was teaching us was when you go to an orchestra of very, very good musicians, you have to give them your reading or your, what you want to say about a piece of music. Um, and I think for me, I think that's what's missing from a lot of conducting education. Um, there are some great teachers who are always teaching how to do a beautiful four pattern and how to, you know, relax shoulders and all the difficult things which we all have to learn. But actually this, this idea of, I want to say this about this piece of music, the, the real being a musician part of conducting mm -hmm. was I think his primary concern. And then on top of all that, one of the things I, I'm very grateful for now is that he, he almost left kind of no repertoire area unturned in, okay. in the whole period of time. So we did a lot of Baroque and sort of earlier music. Um, we did a lot of the standard rap, but we also did some contemporary music and started to explore living composers and even talked about programming and the business side. So mm -hmm. I think for him, it was about being comprehensive and really developing you, you know, like I say, developing you as a musician and as somebody who is not just a conductor, but someone who, has something to say about pieces of music, yeah. which again, there are a lot of conductors that conduct fantastically, but you realize behind that wonderful technique, I don't know if there's much that's going on in terms of what they want to say. Mm -hmm. And I think it's more important to be able to say something about music than it is about conducting well. And that's important. Yeah. And then, you know, this, this preparation that you've, that you've learned, you can, you can extrapolate that to absolutely everything. You know, well, I think a lot of times we, 
will also be like working on Brahms three to learn mm. Brahms three. And then, yeah. And then it's up to us to make sure whatever we learn there goes to everything. But it sounds like Mark was really making sure that you would, you would learn the foundation and Brahms was, was the path that would just happen to be the path that you would take to learn that exactly larger skill. Yeah. yeah. And the other thing I, and obviously the, the name of your podcast is, is podium time. And so it's, <laughs> it fits in quite nicely with, with part of, part of Mark Stringer's work. Um, I always remember, and I'm sure you, you, you will have the same experience. Um, we all wanted more podium time, you know, mm-hmm. I, we need to conduct and, you know, and I think it's, there's that famous Malcolm Gladwell philosophy of the 10,000 hours, yeah. you know, let's, let's get our flying time in before we can conduct. But one of the things that Mark Stringer did, which was quite revolutionary was he wouldn't let us near the podium, but, okay. but he would allow, he would allow us there at certain times. So for example, our first year, we hardly ever did any conducting with an ensemble. We did a couple of projects where we might have a small, like a Bach cantata size ensemble, or maybe a, remember doing a CP Bach symphony with a small orchestra. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like he was going for this quality of, of interaction rather than quantity. Okay. And then as we got, as we got through this progressive sort of four or five years of studying, um, each year we'd get more and more time. And it was great because he wouldn't, I remember he wouldn't let us, well, not that he wouldn't let us, but he strongly advised against having an amateur orchestra or a youth orchestra on the side because mm. he wanted us to, to, because when you start conducting orchestras, you start compensating perhaps technically to get what you want quicker because that's yeah. what the job asks you to do. But when you're a student, I think you need to be in a, in a kind of a laboratory away from those demands. Mm. And so he, of course, at the time, we're all like adolescent children saying, why can't you let us out to conduct? And, you know, why do all the other kids I'm get ready. to go and I'm conduct? Ready. And, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, yeah. And, and actually, he, he was like a, you know, a very, very persistent, very annoying parent who would say, no, I know what's best for you. And it's not time <laughs> for you to go out into the wide world yet. And, and actually he was, he was right a hundred percent of the yeah. time, but it was frustrating for a lot of the students because you, you want to be with an orchestra and you want to learn. Um, but actually I, I realized now that the time studying with him was really about working on yourself yeah. not in a selfish way, but about almost like going to a drama school, if you're an actor or, you know, studying mime or something, it really was developing that side. Mm-hmm. And then for me, the, the real experience time came after studying. And yeah. that's when you suddenly give all the, all the lessons that you learn, you know, suddenly you realize on, you know, on Eroica number 16 of a regional tour with a, with an Italian orchestra, you go, Oh, I remember that lesson that I learned, you know, three or four years ago. Now it makes sense. So it's almost, he separated those two things in a way that really is quite effective. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and when you're when you're conducting an orchestra off to the side, you can you know you can develop a lot of bad habits, and you can just start Absolutely. to get into that. So I think it's 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 totally you know I've never heard anything like this before. Saying like actually podium mm-hmm. time is bad right now. Let's let's perfect this. Let's yeah. you know let's really deepen this before we get yeah. on, and then everything's so much more concentrated. Exactly. I love that. Exactly, and it and yeah. it's it's almost like. Well, it's quality over quantity, but it's it's getting the thing right at the right time, you know, um, mm. you know, rather than put rather than putting on loads of salt and pepper, you know, when <laughs> do you put it on and how much? Um, yeah. And so I think it's 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 a very brave way of, of teaching, but yeah. I think it's it's a very interesting and quite revolutionary thing to, to do. 
Yeah, because, you know, the advice we usually get is as we're looking for schools, like podium time is the only thing that matters. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's refreshing to hear to hear the opposite and to hear and to yeah. understand that it's not just, um, you know, because my first impression, if you hadn't have explained it to me, would have been, oh, like, I wouldn't want to go there if I don't get conducting time. Mm. But you yeah, know, it, ma- it makes exactly. so much it makes so much more sense on why it's happening. Yeah. Yeah. And I do understand. I, I also thought the same. And, and I remember now, and it's funny because I haven't thought about this for a few years, but you know, when you go and do masterclasses or workshops and you all talk with your fellow conducting students from around the world, and it, it's all, always like a little bit, the knives are out. How much conducting time do you get in yeah, your yeah. program? And how it is like that. And I, and I always remember um, there was one I can't remember which school it was. Maybe it was maybe it was NEC actually when mm-hmm. when Hugh Wolf was was running that that they got so much time because there were two students and I remember thinking wow that sounds amazing. But then actually yeah I think I think it's good to compare the notes. But I, but I think that good conducting teachers they have a plan and they have a a system set up in their institution that allows mm-hmm. you to because I also think what, if we're talking about what podium time actually means one of the things which I don't think I'd ever experience as a student was um doing a first rehearsal doing a second rehearsal doing a third rehearsal then doing a dress rehearsal then doing a concert which is actually about um spreading out the rhythm of of how you work over a period of time which i learned to aspen actually because that's how they ran that program and so that sort of it's about podium time but it's also okay what what type of podium time you know uh, am i meeting the orchestra for the first time and so therefore maybe i'll keep my mouth shut and let's just rehearse Mm -hmm, and see how things mm go um or is this a sort of um jump in run through the whole piece without stopping and try and make it exciting so you get a nice video (laughs) um you know it's it's and then there is that challenge as well as as you as i'm sure people would jump on and say yeah but we all need a video to get ahead and to get to the next stage of conducting and that's that's where the chicken and the egg thing starts to happen because you think, well, how do you get podium time? You don't have a video. You need the video to get the podium time. It's it's such a weird conundrum, which does get solved, but it's about a lot of patience, I think. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, and the, the relationships we talked about earlier, the network is a big part of, of getting in front of groups as well. You, you, can, you can get opportunities, not by just throwing your videos everywhere, you know, mm. doing a charity concert, yeah building relationships assisting for an orchestra is are, yeah. are other paths to that it's not just about it's not just about videos exactly and i think being quite bold um i mean i i remember when i was a student i wrote to to lots of conductors who i knew were coming as a guest to at that time to, into london and to vienna and um and almost you know they all ignore you and that's normal and that, that happens <laughs> but then i remember one conductor um a conductor called eve abel who's now the music director of San Diego Opera, but he did a lot of the European opera houses. And I wrote to him because he was coming to Royal Opera House, Covent Garden, to do Traviata. And I wrote to him out of the blue completely. And he responded and said, yeah, come and assist me, completely out of nowhere. And so suddenly I I spent a month and a half assisting on Traviata at the Opera House with with this conductor who I then became regularly the assistant of for a long period of time. And the thing is, I think when it comes to podium time, yes, it's about being in front of an orchestra, but it's also about being around interesting people who are going to teach you a lot about the job that you're then going to go and do. Um, Mm -hmm. And actually, if if you don't ask, you don't get, you know, generally how it seems to work. Yeah. 
Now, is this uh, this whole idea of like less podium time, more focus on the basics? Is that kind of typical of conducting education over there, or is this something more that you know is still not typical because it's not <laughs> something that you typically find over here? Yeah. Um, no. no, I think, and I have to say as well that one of the unique things in Vienna was that we had a fully paid three nights a week student orchestra playing for our class. Mm-hmm. So it's not that we, it wasn't just like we have no money and therefore no orchestra to conduct. <laughs> um, we have a lot of students, but actually the resources were there in a way that many, many colleges don't have that resource. Um, I think to be honest, it really depends on the country because if you go to Germany, the way that they teach conducting is reflect their system of opera houses. So generally mm-hmm. in, in Germany, they expect you to be a pianist originally, and then you're going to play in an opera house for a few years, and then they'll let you conduct the orchestra. Uh, and that's sort of how you then become a conductor. Uh, and so the, the music colleges there generally, my experience at least of, of being at, at Weimar, which is, which is one of them, I remember experiencing that actually you almost do 90% of your education at the piano learning score reading and doing all mm. that stuff mm. and then you get to conduct a little bit and that's just part of the whole education um i know that finland um always historically at the sibelius academy had a, a famous conductor's orchestra that you would conduct regularly um the whole tradition in aspen was always that there was an orchestra just for conductors and there'd be a you put on a concert every week and it was all about podium time and it was all about learning from how you conducted with the orchestra and learning those lessons. I think it depends what stage you're starting to study conducting because, you know, if you're a complete beginner or if you're early on in your, in your sort of journey, then I think it's fair to say that you don't want, as we talked about, you don't want to be near an orchestra. And I think a lot of the European music colleges are training conductors who are beginners who are actually starting from scratch. Mm -hmm. Whereas I think in America, um, most of the conducting courses, the famous ones, are most are postgraduate or, or graduate courses or doctorate courses, um, meaning that you probably already had a lot of experience conducting. So I think the podium time emphasis there is is justified because, you know, if you've been conducting university orchestras or youth orchestras for a while anyway, and you're going to a, to somewhere to, to do a graduate course in conducting, then yeah, you, you want to continue. I mean, I my frustration with this was, I was the conductor of the Trinity College Dublin Student Orchestra for a year. So I did rehearsals every week. We did some touring, some concerts. Then I went to Vienna and I had no orchestra. I had no conducting. I had the stuff that was given in the university as part of the course. And that was that was absolutely the, the limit of it. And so I was so frustrated because I thought, you know, why am I learning conducting by not conducting? Which is which is basically how it seems, but actually I think it's about where you are in the in the journey and and how mm-hmm. you know what you're getting because of course the funding system is very different as well. You know yeah. you're depending on what you're paying for your education and how they fund each conducting place. Um, it's it's an expensive thing for a university yeah. to have a conducting student, I imagine. Mm-hmm. Oh, I just I wanted yeah, to mention absolutely. we've we've done about 70 interviews on here and I don't think the phrase podium time has ever actually appeared in the episode talking about the original oh, thing. Good. So it's been oh, so good. it's been so weird because I never hear the phrase podium time anymore except when I'm talking about the name of the podcast. Yeah. yeah, it's a bit like when you watch Friends and you forget uh-huh. that it the title of it is Friends. Yeah. <laughs> just think it's TV show. Yeah, so it's been really surreal this this whole hour. Yeah, just, just actually hearing that that phrase. 
anyway. Yeah. Well, good. Uh, I just wanted to <laughs> Yeah. Thank you so much for joining us for this episode of Podium Time and listening all the way to the end. You've joined the full episode club. If you'd like to get more from the podcast, consider joining the Podium Time Inner Circle group on Facebook or check out our Patreon page for bonuses like behind-the-scene discussions and other educational extras. Links are in the show notes or at podiumtimepod.com. Mendelssohn's Italian Symphony was performed by the Czech National Symphony Orchestra and Beethoven's Egmont Overture was performed by Stefano Ligorati. (laughs) 